morning's scripture reading will be taken from Genesis 18, 8 through 15, and Genesis 21, 1 through 7. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? and say, will I, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but the Lord said, yes, you, yes, you did laugh. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, "God has brought me laughter." And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who will have said to Abraham that Sarah will nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is God's word. Thank you, John. Bible's open to uh, Genesis chapter 18. If you have uh, one of those outlines that you find in the announcement sheet, you want to uh, get that out and maybe uh, take some notes as we go through uh, the majority of chapter 18 and the first seven verses of chapter 21. While you're doing that, uh, I, I want to thank somebody else. Uh, you, you know, one of the things I love about our church is that uh, we really do, like a family, know how to, to roll with the punches and to be flexible, and I've appreciated so much uh, everyone's participation and cooperation as we do something that's kind of out of the, the normal way that we operate around here, and that is, you know, instead of coming uh, for a Bible class at 9.15 and then our worship assembly at 10.30 over in the, the, the main auditorium, uh, you guys have been coming at 8 o'clock in the morning. And, and I really appreciate that, and that really does help alleviate the second service that we do in here, with, uh, which is normally a, a bigger and a larger number. So I, I just want to say thank you for, for your understanding, your cooperation, for, for all of the ways that you make uh, my job and all of the other uh, guys on staff our jobs easy. And uh, now having said that, I, you know, one, one of the guys that, that really has to pay the price when we make these kinds of uh, changes is Robert Hatcher. Robert... Uh, bless his heart has and, and Grant Cobb helping him has to move a lot of stuff from the, the big sound room over in the main auditorium over here. Uh, there were some things that were happening in this room this week as we were finishing up and patching the air conditioning job that was already under contract by the time that we uh, had the damage to the building we were having to move over here. 
but Robert has had, has had to, to not only make sure that the sound was okay and the screens for projection were okay, but also we record everything in here and as you know, we stream live these assemblies. So that's four big tasks that are happening in an environment and a context that is not optimal for a guy that has set up everything in the sound room. He and Grant both over in the sound room and the other side to, to make that easy. So if you have a chance to, to congratulate, hug, kiss uh, Robert, do so. <laughs> embarrass him, embarrass him, embarrass him with your affection. He, he has really been uh, really great with his, his flexibility as well. Let's begin with prayer and we're going to jump in this text. Father, we're grateful for this beautiful day that we can come together and not only as we do every day recognize your sovereignty in our life, but as uh, on this day we come together as a family, we recognize that you're our Father and that we're part of a big family. And that has such tremendous significance, not only in our world, but for us personally. To know that there's no place in this world that we go in, that you're not a shepherd, that you're a great God, that you're a powerful judge, that you are all of these things that Scripture reveals you, reveals you to be, that that's what you are every day in our lives with us. And so we're grateful to have an opportunity, Father, not only to, to lift our voices in unison and encourage each other with our faith, but to, but to love you. And not only that, but to come to a text like this this morning and to have our hearts and minds expanded as to what your character in all of the universe is like. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning as we think about these, these wonderful texts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what does LOL stand for? <laughs> Laugh out loud, right? You know, laughter is kind of a funny thing when you think about it. Uh, laughter can be loud and rowdy. And there's probably somebody in your life that you think of as having kind of this big belly laugh when something is really, really funny. They just kind of break out in laughter. Or laughter can be silent, as you find in technology. I mean, LOL is all over Facebook. It's all over emails. It's all over the place. Uh, normally, we think of laughter connected to the funny stuff. Not always so. Humans laugh when they're embarrassed. Sometimes we laugh because we've been embarrassed and somebody has made us, you know, uh, not feel all that confident. Uh, humans can laugh when they don't understand something that's said to them. Uh, several years ago, probably uh, about 25 years ago, when Ellen and I were first missionaries in Brazil, we had some family come down to visit with us. I, we were just breaking into this language. And, uh, but being a young guy and, and having some friends at dinner one night, uh, one of the friends uh, dropped a knife on the floor and I kind of wanted to show off. And so I said in Portuguese, garçom, waiter, uh, mais uma vaca, por favor, aqui. Now what I should have said was mais uma vaca, one more knife here, please. But what I, and, and the waiter just kind of looked at me and, and, and sort of laughed like, I, I don't understand what you're saying, gringo. <laughs> and this little three-year-old daughter who was, uh, had been born and raised in Brazil grabbed my arm and said, why did you ask for another cow? <laughs> And, and that's when I laughed, that embarrassed laugh, and went, ah, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> laughter can be cruel, and laughter can be mean. I, I still remember to this day very, uh, just such a visceral moment in my life. I, I was uh, barely into elementary school, living across the street in a neighborhood that had lots of kids. We lived across the street from a little boy by the name of Stephen, who was crippled in both feet. And I remember... Uh, you, you know, thinking that, that Stephen was a pretty nice kid. 
he's a very sweet boy. He lived across the street. We got to see him every day. The problem was is that he lived across the street from the Baker boys as well. And the Baker boys were cruel. And they would laugh at the way that Stephen would walk, and they would laugh at the way that Stephen would run. And I remember one day they laughed at him and, and made fun of him, and they got everyone else laughing about Stephen until he started crying and ran home crying. And that was such a, a, a moving moment. It, it, I think in my life it's the first time that I ever experienced human cruelty. And maybe that's why I remember it so clearly. But I remember uh, really being upset by that and as a little, and, and sometimes, you, you know, the most tender-hearted kids in the world are little six-year-old boys uh, going in and talking to my mom. And she just looked at me and she said, what's funny about that? Not everything is a laughing matter. Garrison Keillor, I think it is, it said, you know, comedians in America right now resemble more a lynch mob than anything else. Uh, Stephen King writes, humor is almost always anger with its makeup on. There's all kinds of laughter, right? And in our story, we find two kinds of laughter. But first, let's get the backstory straight. You'll remember that uh, all the way back in, at, the, at the end of chapter 11 and beginning of chapter 12, God has appeared to Abraham, his family in Ur of the Chaldees, and has told him, I'm going to make you this great nation. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to a land of promise. And, and in so doing, through your faith and following me, I'm going to make you this, this great nation. And this nation that I'm going to make out of you, Abraham, is going to bless the world. Which meant, by, by deduction, that Abraham, who did not have a son at that time, would get a son to get the ball rolling in the, in the, the turning in into a great nation. Now, the son void in his life and in, in his wife Sarah's life is at the center of, of really everything that Abel, Abraham struggles with in life. And it was the source, as you know, and as we've studied, was really foolish mistakes on the part of Abraham and Sarah. But God keeps reminding Abraham that he and Sarah, he says, your wife Sarah, the one that you're married to, Sarah, your wife, the one that you've been married to, that's the one that you're going to have this son through. And so when chapter 18 opens up, the Lord, and uh, we, we, we've talked about uh, the, the appearances of, of, of God or God the Son in, in the Old Testament. This is one of those places. The Lord and two angels appear to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. And it's in the middle of the day, which is really kind of a rough time to travel. But, but here they come to Abraham's tents. And Abraham sees them, but to him, he doesn't see... You, you know, the Lord and two angels, he sees, he sees three men. And because he lives in this honor society or this honor culture, one of the great ways that you get honor in the culture in which Abraham lived was to show hospitality. And so when he hurries out to meet them and he bows down before them and he hurries to the tent to get them uh, going with the, in the kitchen with the food and with the preparing of the calf and, and all of these things. He runs out to his herd and he, and he even himself you know, picks this animal that is going to be the meal for these three guests. And, you know, as an aside, if we step out of this passage just for a moment, a lot of centuries after this, the Hebrew writer is going to say this about angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent, uh, spirit sent to those, uh, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The Hebrew writer saying, you know what, the, here's the thing about angels. Angels come, and they're part of... of, 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 of 
doing God's will. They serve those that are going to inherit salvation. And then 12 chapters later, this writer to the Hebrews does not think that this kind of event back in Hebrews chapter 18 has come to an end. He says in verse 2, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, some people have shown hospitality to what? To what? Angels without knowing it. And so both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, kindness to strangers is considered a high mark of discipleship. So back in the story, while the four of them are enjoying the meal, they ask in verse 9 of chapter 18, where is your wife Sarah? Now that would have caught Abraham's attention and possibly to Abraham been a hint that these are not typical human visitors who have come to his tent. But Abraham, you know, being polite, being hospitable, they ask the question, he answers, she's in the tent. Then one of them said, verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now two questions before we move on. Question one, why does God come in this way to the tent of Abraham? A lot of scholars, a lot of commentators say that this is a contrast, that all of this hospitality and love and, 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 and this hospitality that is shown to these strangers is going to be in contrast with what happens to the two angels when they go to Sodom and they're meeting with Lot in the next chapter. Uh, I think there's some of that, but I don't think that's the point. Uh, remember that in chapter 15, God comes in the dark. In chapter 18, He comes in the middle of the day. It's lunchtime. In chapter 15, when God appears to Abraham and they cut this covenant with each other, God is the smoking pot. He is this blazing torch. He is this mysterious figure. In chapter 18, he comes as, as a dude with dirty feet and an appetite. In chapter 15, God comes and there's dread. In chapter 18, when he comes, they have a feast. So why in the world does he come like this at the beginning of chapter 18 when he's come in different ways to Abraham earlier? So question two, why ask about Sarah's proximity before telling Abraham he's going to be a father, especially when he's told Abraham this over and over and over again? If the message that he's going to tell Abraham is not important to Sarah and she's not there and no one Culturally, would have expected her to be a part of the men's conversation, why ask where she is? Why ask when no one would expect her to be a part of the circle? The reason that he comes in the middle of the day at lunchtime and asks about Sarah is this. Sarah is the point. Sarah is the point of this visit. God comes as a tired traveler in need of a meal to and this involves Sarah in the preparing of a meal and the serving it and standing there at the entrance of the tent in case there's some needs that arise. She's right there to be able to rush in, meet the need, and, you know, more water, more uh, tortillas, whatever it might be. It's, it's to involve Sarah. And God asks about Sarah when it's not necessary to do so for one reason and one reason only. It is to involve her. It's time for Sarah to know God personally and to not know God through Abraham alone. That, that's true for all of us. It's not enough for us to know God through somebody else. God wants us to know Him personally. And I love this about God. Sarah believes in God. 
She's heard the promise through Abraham. She's followed him from Ur of the Galileans up into Iran, down into the promised land. She's gone into Egypt. She's gone back to the promised land. She's been living there with Abraham all of these years. She knows about God. She believes in God, but she does not believe God. What Sarah believes is that God is opposing her. What did she say in the preceding chapter? God is keeping me from having children. It's, it's the same thing that Eve was going through in the Garden of Eden. God is somehow opposed to me. He's not helping me to flourish by keeping this fruit from me. It's the same thing in chapter 17 with, with Sarah. Or in chapter 16, God has kept me from having children. And Sarah is about to have a personal encounter with God. And it's here that we encounter that first laughter. It's the laughter of a skeptic. Verses 10 and 12. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Well, Sarah's thinking about things as the way that she sees them with her own two eyeballs. Sarah sees, sees three things that make her laugh but not because they're funny. Sarah is post-menopausal. Her body has come to that place where it's telling her that conception is an impossibility, hence the age of childbearing is long gone. Not only that, and this is, this is, is kind of an ironic part of this text. If you go to Romans chapter 4, which is, is Paul reflecting back on this, it's Abraham thinking about Sarah's body being old in here. It's, a, it's Sarah thinking about Abraham being worn out. But then there's also kind of a sad piece here. She also knows, and this is part of the implication of the word pleasure, she also knows that it's been a long time since she's had the pleasure of being in Abraham's arms. And so there's skepticism in Sarah's laugh because it's devoid of the wonder of God. Sarah, Sarah is living in barrenness and she's become accustomed to the barrenness. And so she laughs to herself. Skeptical laugh. It's here that I think it's important to reflect on something that Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, says. Walter Brueggemann says that faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and the normal perceptions of life. God is going to challenge the normal scheme of life and the normal perceptions that are going on inside of Sarah's mind. So he says in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's say that together. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's say it one more time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah is so busted at this point. God asked, or God the Son, as a man, as his visitor, asked, why in the world did Sarah laugh? And Sarah goes, I didn't laugh. But God says, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> you know, it, it's one of the humorous moments in ministry. Uh, you, you know, sometimes it's, it, it mainly happens on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights when we're all gathering together. But we'll be walking down the hall, and it's not just my experience. It's the experience of shepherds and, and the other staff ministers as well. You know, we're walking down the street. Somebody comes in, and, and maybe it's, it's, a, it's a lady. Hair's a little bit disheveled, you know, the eyes are real red. And you walk up and you go, is anything the matter? And they go, no. <laughs> and what's humorous about it is that sometimes I say, 
are you lying to your preacher? <laughs> then the guy gets the ball wrong. That's, you know, that's sort of what happens here. This event where, where God goes, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did laugh. This, this moment, this, this event just sort of flies in the face of our cultural image of God who's up in heaven just waiting for somebody to do something wrong and then just zap. I mean, think of Thomas saying, you know, I'm not going to believe in the resurrected Jesus until I put my fingers in the hole. And Jesus shows up one day and says, here are the hole, put your fingers in. God understands the skepticism. And it's to a skeptic that God comes in the middle of the day in order to involve her in the making of lunch so that she is engaged in this conversation to bless her with a personal encounter with God. And then a year later, we go to chapter 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was what? The Lord was what, church? Gracious. The Lord was full of grace to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And it's here that we find the laughter of a believer. The, the skepticism turns into belief. In verse 6-7, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? How old is Sarah? Ninety. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. How old is he? A hundred. Now this time, her laughter is, is joy-filled and wonder-blazed. Now one of the things I said last week at the end of the sermon is that at some point... You have to learn how to live in, the, in awe of God's grace. Every day you wake up, do you wake up and you find yourself in awe of the fact that you're a child of God? Are you in awe of what it is that God is doing in your life, in the life of those that you love, in the life of this church, in this community, and in this world? That's what's now happening in the laughter of Sarah. Sarah, you know what Sarah has become? She has become, she's been transformed. From the skeptic and somebody that's disappointed and somebody who's now accustomed to living in barrenness, she has now become someone who has, she has now become to herself this never-ending source of wonder. And her laughter has been transformed because she's been transformed. And there is humility and a certain kind of certainty in Sarah right now. There's a certainty that, that God has brought me laughter and everyone will laugh with me. It's kind of hard to know exactly how to translate the, the preposition there. Is it with me or at me? It can be translated both ways. But when you think about it, this is kind of a national inquire kind of a moment. Imagine a 90-year-old woman nursing a baby. Kind of funny. Kind of funny to think about a 90-year-old woman nursing an infant. And Sarah's saying, boy, he has given me laughter. And people may be laughing with me, or people may be laughing at me. But that's alright. Because I'm experiencing the wonder of God in my life. And humility, I mean, who would have thought that God would do something like that for me? Yet, I've been able to bear a child in old age. And you know what Sarah does? She laughs, and she laughs, and she laughs. So the question is, at the end, how do we get this? This, this laughter 
of belief, this laughter of joy at the wonder at how God has laced His grace and threaded His presence and His power and His love and in all of that in our lives. We get it the same way. The wonder of a son that is born into the world. In Luke chapter 1, you have again a divine being, an angel, who comes to a young woman and the angel says that God is going to give you a son. And since she has never been married, she has never been with a man, she knows that she is a virgin, she wonders how in the world is this, how, how, how can this happen? And she is, she is told that no word of God will ever fail. And Mary says in chapter 1, verse 38, then let that word be fulfilled in me. And some months down the road, she goes to see cousin Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist. And you know the story. And at the end of their encounter and their, their praising God, Elizabeth tells Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Christ is that ultimate son of promise in whom we find the grace to overcome our own spiritual barrenness. And it's, it's that son who in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 tells us that he knocks on the door with his agony and is warning us to hear his voice and to open the door and to come in and to eat with that person, to eat with us and us with him. And, and that is one of the, the, the beautiful things about this particular laughter in the Bible. They're going to laugh and they're going to scoff at the Christ. But he turns that laughter into our laughter, which is the laughter of the wonder of Christ coming into our life in a world that at times is barren. I'll close with this statement from C.S. Lewis. He, one of his most famous sermons, The Weight of Glory, he says, he says, you know, he's talking about, you know, sometimes life is tough. And sometimes it's really tough. And then sometimes there are hard things that come before the good things. And he says, and I quote, Meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is Monday morning. But a cleft has been opened in the pitiless walls of the world, and we are invited to follow our great captain inside. The following him is, of course, the essential that's what the invitation is this morning, is to understand that, you know, in the barrenness that you might be feeling right now, in, in, in the, the standing in the middle of this world that is without pity, there is, because of the Christ, this, this cleft in the wall that has been opened up. And our captain, the Christ, has gone through it first and invites us to follow through with him, knowing that sometimes there are bad days before good days, and that there are disappointments and there's barrenness, experiences of barrenness before we get that that laughter of joy and knowing that God has come near and that God has blessed, blessed us in such a way that we are a never-ending source of wonder and awe and joy because of what God has done. And if there are ways that maybe you're struggling with that a little bit and could use the prayers and counsel or the study or whatever it might be from our church family to help you as you go out into the world to exhibit the greatness of the God for whom nothing is impossible, then we want to help you with that this morning. We're going to have a couple of our shepherds down here at the front. And if that describes you this morning, come down and talk to them as we stand and praise God together. My Jesus.